0: Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. This week's guest is someone for me was a blast from the past, Chris Olson. He is the co-founder and partner of Drive Capital, a venture capital investment fund located in Columbus, Ohio. Chris took a number of jumps. And if this story sounds kind of eerily similar to mine, well, I I would say he's perhaps the more advanced, maybe more successful version. He's a ex-professional squash player, uh, a current venture capitalist, but the fears that he describes and the journey that he went on is is very, very uh, relatable, not just to squash players or investors, but to, to any of us. And Chris has some really amazing nuggets deciding to leave uh, one of the preeminent venture firms in the world to go to the Midwest and invest in in the communities, the companies, and the people in and around Ohio, and he's done that now for several years and done it really well. But uh, he's a remarkably earnest and humble guy, and he talks about things, uh, you know, one of of his sayings that I really found to really stick and hit home was to not think about things in terms of, you know, 10-year increments. A lot of us think to think really big slogs of time, and instead, you know, to say to yourself, are you willing to take a jump for six months? Can you try something for six months? Not 10 years, not even two years, not one year, six months. And if you think about those terms, it it ends up becoming a clear picture in what you decide to do. So I'm not going to give anything more away. I'm going to take you right now to my conversation with Chris Olson, who comes to us from Columbus, Ohio. Chris Olson, partner, founder of Drive Capital. Thank you so much for joining me on the When to Jump
1: podcast. Thanks for having me on the show today. I look forward to it.
0: So why don't we start uh, with where you are at, at this very moment? Because we've we've covered a lot of different geographies in the last several weeks on the show, and and not uh, not anyone in the Midwest recently.
1: Well, then they are they are missing out on the uh, the gray dome that that happens to uh, descend here every winter. Um, I am uh, chatting with you here in Columbus, Ohio, in uh, in our offices, right in uh, in the downtown area in between Ohio State University and the the downtown called uh, the the Short North, right in our offices here.
0: Very neat. And I was talking to you right before we went on live that we had actually uh, spoken a few years ago before my own jump when I was in the investing world. You uh, obviously are no stranger to that business as well. Could you talk a little bit about you know, what got you to Columbus? Because I think for for those who are not, and this isn't necessarily a finance heavy or business focused podcast or show, but without getting too ahead of ourselves, can you back us up a little bit and maybe share, you know, how you ended up getting to uh, Columbus?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, I love the the message of when you see something you're passionate about, you you have to leap for it. And I've had the opportunity to do that a few times in my life and, and thankfully have, have made those leaps. The The first time I did it was actually when I was in college and was uh, on the squash team at Yale. And I ended up in the middle of my sophomore year, I I had an injury, and it was going to take me six weeks to to heal. And I was kind of faced with this dilemma of, well, do I I miss the season and miss one of my my four opportunities to to be on the team, or do I take a year off? And I decided that what I I wanted to try and do was – Dedicate myself to the sport, just to see how good I could get. And so, instead of um, instead of just sitting the season out, I decided to drop out of college. And at the time, my all my advisors said I was nuts um, because I was dropping out to try and go on the the pro squash tour, and I I didn't know how to do it. I had I didn't have any uh, I didn't have any guides. In fact, I had more skeptics than anything else who told me that I just shouldn't do it. That I should just finish my degree. But I wanted to do it, and so I I started reaching out to people, and I started cold calling my way into the the squash community, and and I ran across two guys. Uh, one of them was the world number one at the time. His name was Peter Nickel and his training partner, Chris Walker. And I picked up the phone and, and I called him and I said, hey, you've never met me before, but uh, I'm this kid and and I really love squash. And I played with him for a year. And within four months, I had really learned two of the most important lessons in my life. The The first was that... You know, if if you pursue your dreams, um, no matter how dedicated you are, sometimes there are physical restraints, and one of them was going to be that I just didn't have the 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 physicality to be the a world number one squash player. These guys were they were operating at such a different level and speed from what I'd ever done before. And then the second, which was probably the most important lesson, was that if you pick up the phone and you start calling people, you'd be amazed at at who calls you back. And so. I went from there uh, back to, to college, finished, got my degree, and through a number of twists and turns, uh, eventually um, was fortunate enough to get a an entry level position at Sequoia, and was there for ended up being six years. Um, you know, when we were when I was there, we, we ran into lots of people would come and ask for money. Two of the most prevalent were entrepreneurs, and and the second were politicians. Uh, John Kasich came by and was friends with. Uh, a bunch of the partners, in particular, my my partner here at Drive, Mark Kwame, and asked him to come out and, and build economic development in, in Ohio. And so Mark did that. Um, and so he'd been out here for maybe six months or so, and, and I was off looking at a couple of new geographies for Sequoia. And while I was doing that, one of the companies that we were evaluating was based in Ohio. So I flew out to Ohio and was meeting with the company and decided to catch up with Mark over dinner. So we sat down and as we started chatting, he says, you know, what's going on? At Sequoia I said, Mark, it's, it's amazing. We're going to all these faraway places. I mean, it's just so fun. And he said, that sounds, that sounds great. I said, well, what's going on in Ohio? And he says, it's amazing. It's this special place that I feel like I've discovered. And I was kind of like. Yeah right. Uh, you know, I get that you're on the the Kasich team, and I understand all that stuff. But um, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati. Like I, I knew what Ohio was all about. It was it was a land of you know management training programs for Procter and Gamble or Nationwide Insurance. It was it was not a land of uh, of opportunity that a a Silicon Valley venture capitalist would look at and say, "Wow, huh, there's something here." And so I was incredibly skeptical. And he said, "No, I'm serious." He said, "I, I think that." I was expecting that I would find the Rust Belt, and I was expecting that I would find that all the people were were leaving the area. And uh, I've I've actually found the opposite. I'm meeting just some of the smartest people I've ever met. And the only thing that is, is missing is that the um, – is that there are no west coast venture capitals here who have applied this this kind of proven approach to building companies to the raw ingredients that were here and he's like and i think so therefore you should leave sequoia and you should start a venture capital firm based in ohio uh, and focus on this area and i was like that's the dumbest idea i've ever heard and i was like i appreciate your enthusiasm and that is awesome um and so I, I kind of went away, and it, you know, but it, and it had the, this funny impact where it was just one of these ideas. It was, it was so outlandish. It was so absurd that I, I just, you know, had to look it up. And I could tell you what the GDP of Turkey was or what Brazil was, I just, but I had no idea. Like, what, what is the GDP of Ohio? Like, what, what is the GDP of the Midwest? Like, I never, never thought about it that way. And lo and behold, every single time I looked up a piece of data— it said the opposite of what I had had perceived. So, you know, I thought it was the Rust Belt. Well, it's actually it's the fourth largest economy in the world. It's bigger than Brazil. It's bigger than Russia. It's bigger than India. Um, it graduates more engineers than any other corner of planet Earth. Um, and, you know, all of this except the one piece that was missing was was venture firms. And I kind of looked at this and felt like, huh. Why, why are these faraway places so much more attractive to us like why are we more attracted to go and invest in Brazil than we are attracted to go invest in Indianapolis or, or Columbus or, or wherever and I started to realize that this was a this is an issue with perception and the the data was saying the complete opposite of, of what was popularly believed in in Silicon Valley and, and frankly outside of, uh, of most major metros. And that started to feel like an opportunity that started to feel like if if we were right that that we could go in and we could generate great investments for our for our limited partners and generate great returns and it started to dawn on me that if we were wrong that would be a bummer um you know you'd have to come back and admit that we'd made this this giant mistake but then the bigger thing that kind of dawned on me was well what if we were right if we were right then suddenly what the implications of that were fairly dramatic. If we if we were right, that meant that the the one percent of the population that lives in San Francisco and in Silicon Valley who's had access to these next economy jobs. That was was imagine those jobs were now accessible to Ann Arbor, Michigan or to Pittsburgh or to Cincinnati or wherever. You know, if that was right, then suddenly then we could be on the frontier of what could be the next economic revolution in America and that this could be the beginnings of a multi-decade shift of technology jobs into all these different communities. And and that started to be, that was the idea um, that really got me excited. And that was the idea where we sort of feel like, you know, this, this was the opportunity of a lifetime. And, you know, that was something that it started to feel like too big of, of an opportunity to pass up. And that ultimately, you know, if we didn't do this, nobody else would. And that, that was, that was something that we had to do. And so that was, that was kind of it. And I talked to my wife about it and, and got excited by it. And in 2012, we, we set out on, on that vision and on that, uh, on that dream and you know, fast forward to today, we've got uh, we're on our second fund here. We've got um, about three thousand people in our portfolio across thirty-eight different uh, different companies. And you know, the research, if anything, understated the opportunity. And, and I'm more convinced than ever that, that everything I just described to you is, is unfolding right now.
0: Wow. Well, first of all, kudos for following what we call that little voice in your in your head as you started to uh, pick up the pieces. But I have to pause and, and remind you know our listeners and maybe give you know context. Not many folks leave a place like Sequoia and a you know community like the, the legendary Sand Hill Road and Silicon Valley and all of these you know th- this great allure of what many people feel like it is kind of the uh, the Yankee Stadium or, uh, or Madison Square Garden of investing to, to go elsewhere, let alone at the time that you left, the Midwest. And so while all the data in hindsight seems to point to a very clear picture, and it sounds like it, it certainly is painting that in reality, how did you you know grapple with that decision uh, that on paper, again, and, and in the community you were in, and perhaps... You know to uh your family or friends seemed like like a totally a, a crazy move
1: yeah it definitely was perceived as crazy um and i had a number of friends that i shared the idea with and they were like dude that's that's like you you realize that's crazy um and you know i think the that's kind of the definition of a great idea though if it's if everybody perceives it as Oh yeah, obviously that would be the case then you know that would already somebody else would already be doing it because there would be a model for for that working um, and I I'd seen that I think I'd been fortunate enough to just to see how many people um, young folks who would would come in to be founders of uh, of companies into Sequoia and all of these great ideas they sound crazy at the time um, and this one you know it didn't sound crazy to me it sounded it sounded plausible it sounded probable and i kept challenging people who would say that to me i'd say listen can i let me share with you what i found let me share the data and just show me where i'm wrong cuz please i i want i want somebody to stop me from making a, a bad decision here if if this is the wrong thing to do and and two things i think emerged from that number one was other people started to feel they started to see that that i was really passionate about this that this was something that i was losing sleep over the idea like i could not i was so energized by it it was just it was one of those things that when you you suddenly discover something that that you're passionate about you just cannot stop and you start to feel like there's just not enough hours in the day to to work on it and you're you lose track of time and and you start to speak with a lot more energy and you start to, to realize that things are around you are, are so so much more they so much more colorful they're so much more uh, impactful and, and I think that, that that started to emerge and I think people were reflecting my own enthusiasm back back on me and, and nobody nobody found anything in the data um, the other thing that that started to emerge was you know I had I was very lucky and I had a conversation with with one of the CEOs that I worked with at Sequoia a lot You know, I was, I was, I was was wrestling with this decision and I said, you know, what does this mean for 10 years from now? And, you know, what, what if I look back 10 years from now and I say, this was a terrible move. And he said, he said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. He said, you're not making a 10 year decision. He said, don't, don't make a 10 year decision. Don't make, don't make a one year decision. Make a six month decision. Just say, are you willing to try this for six months? And if the answer to that is yes, then go do it. And I did, and that that was, you know, it helped me take this what felt like such a big thing and turn it into a very approachable um, a choice. And you know, it was in, to me it was a no brainer. It didn't it, like to try this for six months. To not try this for six months felt foolish, um, because if we were right, all the things I described would happen. And, and if that was the case, then I would much rather spend my days working on that than just you know. Inheriting the best brand in venture capital and and not messing it up, I, I think that was that was ultimately what what got me over the line and um, and I was so fortunate to have the support of of, uh, of my wife and and you know one year old daughter she didn't say much at the time but um, she went along with it for sure and uh, but my spouse and um, and my friends and family I think they were you know they were just supportive to see us try something that they knew we were we were excited by.
0: Well, and that's such a great way to think about these things because people often think in 10 year increments which is impossible and super weighty and overwhelming right to, to think of anything in those terms I mean lo- you know that's just not how life works and so I, I love that to be able to take it into a bite sized you know uh, chunk of time and say okay for six months does this make sense and then you also at the same time see your your body responding in the you know the the excitement the sleepless nights the, the asking your friends about this And and I agree I mean when I and I will say for, for folks listening that wonder how I could find maybe the one other person in the venture capital world who left at one point to go play professional squash, that's an astute observation. I think there might just be um, an N of two of us, and we're on the phone right now. So um, <laughs> it's, it, it's remarkable to me how I think in some ways the risk that you take to drop out of school and go play squash for a bit and then come back – you know, mirrors the one that it seemed like you you faced, and and that you ultimately decided to to take a chance on when you left uh, Silicon Valley to, to go to Columbus and start Drive, right? I mean, you had that feeling like this made sense that you wanted to do it, all, you know, all in, and lo and behold, a lot of people didn't uh, think it was maybe the right move, or they thought it was the crazy move, which sounds like that might have been the leading indicator that it was a good choice.
1: Yeah, I, I think I was I was fortunate enough to have had that earlier experience where. I took what was perceived as a a, a big risk in, in college, and uh, you know, to pursue a passion, and I, I think that really helped me when I got to a later point because you know I started looking at this and feeling like you know, am I really going to move to Ohio? Um, but I, I think that you, you know, you just when you're when you're passionate about something, I didn't care like I, I didn't care what other people said about me because this this was something that I I just needed to do and. I think that's also been one of the reasons why I, we've been so fortunate enough to bring our team around us. Because, you know, I, I think it's it's the passion that you have for something that other people get excited to work on. You know, they're excited. Your that passion can be super infectious. And, uh, you know, I think we've been able to bring people on to drive who they could work anywhere in the world on on problems that that in any corner. Um, but they're choosing to work here. Because they're excited about the vision, they're excited about what we're building, and I think that it's 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 a crucial ingredient for any company to be successful. Is you've got to have leadership that that really cares about it, that's really passionate about it, and and I really mean it. Like I, I would be doing this if you know if if there was no money involved. It, it's not for the money. I, you know, the money comes way way later. Yeah, I do this because. There's an opportunity to have an impact here that I just didn't have in other places. And that, that's what gets me excited. And you know, I, when I meet my kids, as my kids get older and I start to get to know them, if they come to me and they say, Hey, Dad, I've got this choice. And one's risky and one's not, but I'm really passionate about it. I, I wanted the ability to point to something and be like, look, what do you think I did? Like, how do you think I got here? And, you know, I want to I have a model for them to see that taking risk in life is a really good thing. And they're not all going to work out. And that's okay. But, you know, and my squash career did not work out. And that, that's okay. Um, but you're going to never look back on that and feel like, man, I wish I'd done it. I just, I wonder what I would have done if I had done it. Like that to me was, that was the most painful emotion.
0: Totally. I think at some point, yeah, it's that, it's that fear of not trying that gets greater than, than trying and going for it and not working out. It, it, that suddenly doesn't feel so bad. Right. The other part of that, which I think is really interesting, uh, that this kind of decision to look down a generation and say, you know, what, what can I tell my kids about chasing their dreams and taking risks if, if I don't myself go and, and live that? And that was very reminiscent. In fact, that's basically uh, paraphrasing the story from uh, the first narrative of, of my book around uh, Jeff Arch, who is the karate school manager and failed screenwriter. And it wasn't until he was rocking his one month old or two month old baby to sleep one night when he sees a Tony Robbins infomercial and Tony's, you know, talking about chasing your dreams, and it was really cheesy, and it's like 1989 at the time, and he's talking about buying his cassettes. And Jeff Harch is like, you know what? This is cheesy, but at the same time, he looks down at his son, and he's like, in 15 years, what kind of conversation can I have with him about, you know, making decisions in life if I don't live that out? So I, I mm-hmm. think that really resonates.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's one of those things where you start to dawn. Start, when you have kids, I think you, you at least for me the i do know i understand it does sound cheesy but it starts to dawn on you that hey this thing's going to be here after I'm gone and so when i'm gone what's going to be left and if if you don't have a a track record or you haven't left behind these these lessons then you, you know you, you'll disappear forever and and i didn't want that and i wanted the opportunity to build something that that would live forever
0: yeah absolutely and it seems like you're certainly making that mark and and drive has has done an incredible job just in, in like you said it and i thought that was an interesting metric and and not many you know firms or investors think in terms of kind of lives impacted like you said i think the number is 3000 folks that you get to touch through drive which is incredible uh, I, I will bring you back, as you mentioned, and I believe it was your buy-off the website to that moment when you decide to ship off towards the Midwest and you're packing up your bags. And one of the lead uh, investors at the time you described that was going to help make this jump possible seems to have backed out. What was going through your mind at that point? You know, on day zero of of deciding to do this.
1: Yeah, I, it's funny. You know, I look back on on all these things, and I. I remember the failures more prominently than I do the the successes. Uh, that one that, one, that one was a bad that was a tough day. Um, so we we had gone around and um, and started to to try and raise the the fund. And you know it was a it was a critical ingredient that pe- the investors were telling me that look if you're going to do this you you've obviously got to move to Ohio and I, of course I was going to move to Ohio um, the the challenge with that was I was like but I'm not going to move if we can't raise the money you know if we if we can't get anybody to invest in us then I just move to Ohio and, and you know have no income I'm not going to do that and um, uh, not even have a not no income but have no job opportunity I wasn't going to do that so. Um, What I said was, I'll I'll move once we've raised at least half of the the money for the fund. And we'd been fundraising for, I guess, better part of six months already and decided that, okay this felt like we had enough momentum that we were going to move and this was going to happen. And so ordered up the moving truck and the guy shows up in our apartment. Um, The boxes are there. They're all packed. They're ready to go. Um, and literally, as about – the guy comes in and kind of assesses the situation. My phone rings. Uh, he's about ready to start loading up the truck, and, uh, and it's my partner. And he says, hey, i just got some really bad news. He said, our, our anchor investor, not just, not just like an investor. This was like they were a $50 million investor in the fund, uh, changed their mind, and they're not going to do it. And I said, shit. Hung up the phone, and my wife looks at me and she says, "What just happened?" And I said, uh, "We just lost a fifty million dollar commitment for the fund." And she said, "I thought you said they were, they were in." I said, "That's what I thought they were." And she said, well, "What are we gonna do now?" And I kind of looked around, and you know, it just was one of those moments where it dawned on me. This is I'd been telling entrepreneurs as a as a VC. That when you start your company, you're gonna hit these these bumps, and you're gonna uh, and you're gonna live through them, and they're gonna be really tough. But you have to believe in yourself, and you've got to believe in the mantra that the, you know losers will try until they fail, that winners are gonna fail until they succeed. And I kind of felt like in that moment, I was like, okay, we just had a major failure. So what am I gonna do? And I was like, I, I could never go back and tell an entrepreneur how they should believe in themselves if I didn't believe in myself in that moment. And it was like, I, I had already crossed, crossed the Rubicon um, and decided that we, that we had to move. And I told my wife, I was like, nope, we got to do it. There's just no backing out at this point. And it turned around and in that very moment, uh, my wife happened to take a picture of my daughter who was sitting in front of the the boxes and, you know, as kids do, when you send them on their own, she's just sitting there, she started crying, and she took a picture of it. And she looks at me and she goes, here, look at this picture. And I said, that's that's how I feel in this moment right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to sit down on the floor and I just wanted to cry. Um, but, you know, and it was scary. It was terrifying. But, uh, you know, we kind of looked at that and felt like that was a defining moment. And obviously, um, I'm glad that we did it. And, you know, we ended up... Um, a few meetings later, we we ended up rescuing that LP, that investor in our fund. Uh, they came in, and and, and, a, a f- and several more folks came in, and and we were we were able to get enough money to get up and running and get started. Um, but that is that is one of those defining moments that uh, that I will never forget.
0: Wow, that is. Uh- that is amazing <laughs> it, it is uh it is one of those points right where it's it's easy to ride the waves when things are going well i think character is tested when when things don't go so hot and you have to make that decision and, and i love that quote that losers will try and then fail and winners will fail until they succeed is that did you get that yourself
1: i, I would love to claim credit for it. i don't know where i got it from but it is it's not an original okay well
0: it's it's well put, for sure. And it goes along with my, my question as I wrap up here, Chris. Uh, what would you say to others? You know, whether they you know, want to get into venture capital and start a fund or, or more likely are just thinking about their own jump that they want to make, what would you What would you share to folks listening?
1: The best advice I ever got was, um, you know, you, you've, you've got to believe in yourself. And the only way that you're going to be happy in life is if you pursue the things that, that you're passionate about. So whatever it is that you're passionate about whether it's a a playing an instrument or it's a sport or it's venture capital or it's uh, starting a podcast or or whatever it is just do that because if you do that then every single day you're going to love what you do and that's going to bring out the very best that you have in yourself and you're going to find a way to be successful at it it doesn't mean that it's going to work every time i I just think that you've got to you should know that that that's what it takes to be uh to be happy and and in doing that you know if you Whatever it is that you want to do, if you don't start doing it today, why wait? why wait another day? The only thing that's going to happen is tomorrow you're just going to be a day older. So why not do it right now?
0: Well put, and I think that's a great place to, to end the conversation for now. Chris Olson, Drive Capital. Where can folks learn about what you're doing, what you're saying on the, on the social media uh, chambers as well as on the websites? Where should people go?
1: Sure. So we're out on the interwebs. We are on uh, drivecapital.com is where you'll learn about Drive Capital. And you can find us on, uh, on LinkedIn under Drive Capital or um, Twitter under Drive Capital and uh, uh, message me if you want on uh, my Twitter handle, which is Chris Olson CMH.
0: Amazing. Well, Chris, it has been a pleasure to have you uh, on the show and to circle back. It's funny how life works out, but uh, I appreciate you making the time and joining us and sharing the wisdom on your own jump.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. I, I appreciate it, Mike.
0: All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris. Remember, losers will try until they fail and winners will fail until they succeed. If you want to check us out. You know where to go. Wentojump.com. Follow us on social media at when to jump all around. Thank you to all those who are reaching out and sharing their stories with us. We love it please keep them coming. Go check out Drive Capital online if you'd like. That's drivecapital.com and you can look them up at Drive Capital across Twitter as well. My name is Mike Lewis. Thank you for listening to the When to Jump podcast and I'll see you next week.